Good morning. I'm so glad you are visiting with us. And uh, it's some exciting times that are happening right now in our church. For example, some of the announcements that I want to make are on this coming Tuesday, church council is meeting. This coming Tuesday at 6 o'clock, we're going to be talking about painting the lines on our new asphalt parking lot. That is very exciting to me. So uh, we'll be talking to Brian Estride, who's been studying it and getting hold of people for that. Also, meeting with council on opening up the church. We don't know quite, we don't know quite when, but uh, we'll be talking about it, and we have a lot of work to do to get that, that available. And when we decide to open up the church, we will uh, put it on uh, the YouTube, we will put it on the uh, Facebook, we will put it on the uh, phone, we'll be calling those that are on the call list, and I'll put it on the answer machine at the church. And I might be very excited when I do so. So we have a lot of work to do that there. Also, we now have our new daily bread and we will be having them just inside the front door or maybe even outside the front door for you to pick up whenever you can starting June 1st. So, And along with that will be the Christian lives that we have. The Christian lives that we get, there's, a, there's old ones that goes back to March, but we'll be putting a stack of those out too. I know some of you love those. One more thing, Precious Life, a ministry uh, that we support this way, has given us our, our baby bottles. They're running their baby bottle campaign, of course, a little bit late, and we will have those either on the front porch or just inside the front door. Uh, you're to take one home. It's empty. I think mine's been filled by my wife. But it's, uh, it's something you take home and you drop your change into it. And we will have them collected by July 5th. So please consider that. We'll have all of those things inside or near the front door of the church. Wow. Exciting times. I, I hope you have seen the parking lot. It's beautiful. So uh, we'll get that painted as well real soon, as soon as we can at least. I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And along with that, Psalms 51, be ready in Second Samuel chapter 12. And we will start our study. I'm trying to introduce something that's not even uh, spoken of very much. The word contrite. We'll be talking about contrite. When we get into Acts 2.36, I hope that this morning could be a, a wonderful Bible study time for you to allow the Lord to teach you something. And for some of you, allow the Lord to change you. Some of us seek change when you come to church there'll be changes made and there may not be changes that the way you would do it but please acknowledge that there's several different ways to do something to make changes and we're going to do our best to make 
the changes in our in our church so that we can meet without anyone getting sicky sickly. Uh, but some of us have struggles with change in our life, and this is a change that came about for three thousand people at one time. Would you join me with me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, they are sitting at home, hopefully with their Bibles open, but Lord, they're sitting at home, and Lord, make them expectant. Make them, Lord, wanting to learn, and maybe to want to learn something new. Ask you, Lord, to put it into our hearts and our lives that we might grow and grow together. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 2, along, along the theme of Pentecost and along the theme of uh, the Apostle Peter speaking to so many people, it starts right here, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Are you with me? Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, you killed, you killed him. You have made him both Lord, Lord, God, Master, Owner, and Christ. You have made him the Christ, and these all crucified you. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They were pricked in their hearts. There was a physical pain, a sharp sword going into their soul when they realized that they had crucified the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. They were pricked in their heart, literally pierced thoroughly through and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now this comes up in some of our lives even now. When we make some big mistake, when we commit some, some sin, that we end up saying to ourselves and to God, what do I do? Well, we get it right with God. And if it has been a sin against someone else, we should confess it to them. We should go to them and ask for forgiveness if we have sinned. Now, when we get forgiveness from God, that's all wonderful and good. What a feeling. But sometimes there's natural consequences for our sins. They said, what shall we do? Verse 38, then Peter said to them, the answer to what shall we do? He said, repent. Think differently, change direction, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 38 again, then said Peter, repent. What does repent mean? Change. And there are things in our lives, you know it. I know it. There are things in our lives that we need to simply change. And 
Sometimes just a little bit of a change can cause a huge change in our life. Just a little bit of change in our habits can change, can make a big difference in our life, such as reading the word, such as having a prayer time daily, such as remembering Jesus could be coming back. Change. Think differently about things. That happens, at least for me, when I read the Word, God's Word, and I'm able to change what I believe into what God believes. It literally means to change the direction of your life. Now, there might be some listening to me right now. You know that you need to change your direction, the direction with the direction that you are going is going to end up bad for you and your family, maybe your marriage. Change your direction. That's what repent means. Repent means, now, I'm not so sure the little girl standing in the back seat, standing up, and her mother looked in the rearview mirror and saw her standing up. And she said, Isabel, sit down. And Isabel didn't sit down. Mama said, Isabel, I said, sit down. And Isabel didn't sit down. And the third time, Mama's voice got very loud. Isabel, I said, sit down now. And Isabel slid down the seat. And she was heard saying, I might be sitting down. I've changed my direction, but I'm standing up in my heart. Oh my goodness, that explains a lot. If your repentance doesn't thoroughly go to your heart, and we'll talk about that, it's not true repentance. You're liable to go back to your first Sin. In verse 39, it goes on. For the, he said, uh, verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent. 39, for the promise is to you and to your children. The promise is to you and your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Parents, grandparents, our children are watching. When we make mistakes, how contrite are you? How repentant are you? Does it show because you don't know it, but you are teaching your children how to respond when they make a mistake? Be careful. The promise is to you and your children and to all that are far off. Verse forty. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Untoward generation. Speaking of a generation that so quickly went from, Hail, Jesus Christ, welcome God, Palm Sunday, to crucify him, to crucify him an untoward generation led by very religious 
but lost people. Save yourself from this untoward generation. Again, Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. Verse 1, And you has he quickened, made alive, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. When we live in our trespasses and sins, our heart is numb. Our conscience is dead. Just look at the TV screen, even from just last night. And he goes, and you have he quickened, made alive. All of a sudden you understand the veil is taken off your eyes. And you has he quickened, made alive, who were dead in your trespasses, in your sins. And verse 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Like everybody else, you did what they, what they did. You were easily led to do what they, what they told you to do. Then it says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Boy, is the devil reveling right now in what's happening in our country. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. In just one more verse, Ephesians 5, 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. I would like to read a rather large passage. Should be an easy passage to, to talk about. Uh, I do. I will have most of it up on your screen, but I I want to uh, read this to you from Second Samuel, and it's kind of a continuation of King David's sin during the summertime with. Bathsheba, his sin. And I like to start reading in chapter 12, verse 1, 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. And it's a story. It's a parable. Should be easy speaking it. Should be easy hearing it and understanding it. Until Nathan turns it around. Nathan is the prophet at that time. Nathan turns it around and points his finger at David and says, you're the man. Read it with me. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came to him and said unto him, there were two men in one city. The one was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks, and herds, flocks of sheep, herds of goats usually, could be cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. When he had bought, which he had bought and nourished up from a little, a little lamb, and it grew up together with him and with his children, it became the family pet. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and laid in his own bosom and was unto him as a daughter. A ewe lamb is a female sheep. Became unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler 
unto the rich man. And he didn't want to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress to prepare for the wayfaring man that was come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, somebody else's property. Now, when I watch the current news right now, that's one of the blaring thoughts that come to me is what's being destroyed belongs to other people. It's the, the destruction of other people's property. So it, it's a similar thing, but he took the poor man's lamb, the poor man's property, and he dressed it for the man that was come to him. Verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Shall surely die. David was going to use his authority to make sure this man who had stolen from the poor man his only lamb, he was going to use his authority to pronounce death for, upon this man. And, verse 6, he shall restore the lamb fourfold. He's going to have to give him four lambs to replace the one. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And verse 7, wow. Nathan says, you're the man. You art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Another story. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been, been too little, I would have given you more. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? The prophet of God prophesying to the king and he's saying, how could you do this evil in his sight? That's something we forget, that every evil thing we do, we do it in the presence with the eyes of the Lord watching us. Thou hast, thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. They took Uriah. David ordered Joab to put Uriah the husband of Bathsheba. He got orders to put him on the hottest place in the battle, put him on the front lines, that he was to assuredly be killed. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house. The sword will not depart from your house, David. Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. When we commit sin, open sin, when we know it's wrong and we do it anyway, well, I think, I think I, I deserve this. I think I need this. 
When we make exceptions for ourselves, we are despising the Lord Jesus Christ. That in itself, that in itself should be enough to cause us to stop. I am not perfect. I make mistakes. But I don't want to. I'm human. I don't want to make mistakes, but I'm drawn, drawn to them. Uh, we have a proneness to it. But in this case, David did it knowing the word of God. Verse verse 12, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. In verse 13, I have on your TV screen, on your computer, and it says this, and David said to Nathan the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. And literally, the penalty for being an adulterer, the penalty for being a murderer is death, according to the scriptures. But David showed such repentance and a new word, his heart was contrite, contrite that he was instantly forgiven. We can be instantly forgiven. Fruits of a contrite heart. We'll talk about that. Thou shalt not die. In Psalms 51, David went, David went right to his scroll and he started writing this. He said in Psalms 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Think about how loving Jesus Christ is to give us mercy, to give us what we don't deserve. Wow. To keep from us what we do deserve. Wow. And he says, thy loving kindness, according to thy thy multitude of, Tender mercies blot out my transgression. Verse 2, wash me, scrub me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I acknowledge the transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I will not forget, he says. I acknowledge my transgressions. Oh, there is such a work in our heart when we acknowledge our sin. Verse 4 of that scripture, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere beholding the evil and the good. I stay in Psalms 51. David is still there, and I believe with tears. He's writing, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he can do that for us too. Cast me not away from thy presence 
and take not the Holy Spirit from me. I love that passage of Scripture. Cast me not away from thy presence. I try to live in the presence of God. Not perfect, but I try, I attempt, I desire to live in the presence of God. David says, cast me not away from thy presence. David writes in Psalms 139, otherwise called the teenager psalm, about his presence, God's presence always being with him and encircling us. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And then verse 12, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Restore unto me the joy when we commit sin. And we're so sorry, we're broken, a contrite heart. You'll see that in just a minute. God can bring us back joy. He will bring us back joy. That same chapter, verse 17, says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Do you see that? A contrite heart, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Took me a long time this week to study the meaning of a contrite heart, to have a contrite heart. The definition of a contrite heart, broken, broken hearted, because of your sin, bruised and humbled spirit, a bruised and humbled spirit. Righteous repentance not the kind where you just obey but in your in your spirit in your heart you're still standing a righteous repentance causes a contrite heart there's a lot of people that are sorry sorry for their sins but that sorrow is temporary hey maybe even because they were caught they're sorry but that's not the kind of sorrow God honors. A contrite heart. But what kind of sorrow does God honor? I'd like to very quickly go to 2 Corinthians 7. And it says this, For godly sorrow, when you are sorry enough to change, for godly sorrow worketh repentance, worketh change to salvation, not to be repented of, trying your very best to not go back again. Some people are sorry because they were caught. Some people are sorry because of, of the consequences. But when they are given the temptation back, they go again. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, not to ever be changed, but the sorrow of the world works death. Verse 11 talks about that, that godly sorrow. For behold, 
this self-same thing, godly sorrow, that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What is godly sorrow? After a godly sort, and it works, oh, how careful, the carefulness it works in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. I don't want to sin. I don't want to get God upset with me. And what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. That's godly sorrow. Zeal, not, I'm sorry. You go, I'm sorry, Lord. And you, you think you have given confession of your sin to be cleared of it. What revenge, it says. In all things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. That's what godly sorrow is. In Psalms 34, I'd like to uh, bring you Three verses, verses 17, 18, and 19, Psalms 34, starting in verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. I'm hoping just now somebody looked up. I'm hoping somebody just got a jolt. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers us, them, out of their troubles. Be the righteous. Be the one that cries to the Lord. Be the one knowing positive knowledge that God hears. He's listening. And trust Him. He's got a plan. Trust For me, as long as I know, He knows. Whatever is going on, as long as I know, He knows. I'm satisfied. I'm good. I'm good. And it goes on in verse 18. The Lord is close to them that are of a broken heart. Watch, watch, watch. And save such as be of a contrite spirit. Contrite, broken, deep. What did we say? A broken, bruised heart because of sin. David was broken and bruised and crying and weeping for his sin. Now, I want to stop right there for a moment. I, I don't know if you caught it in the last week or two, but I, I want to point out to you that David committed the sin on this timeline. And a year later, Nathan tells him he's wrong. What happened in that year when God committed that sin with Bathsheba and didn't face it, didn't confess it? Some of our sins still lie in the past. And the consequences have not come out yet. David, a year later, more than a year later, is confronted with the words of God from Nathan the prophet. Point that out to you because God knows. God knows. I want to read that verse 18 again. The Lord is close to them that are of a broken heart. The Lord saves such as be of a contrite spirit. 
In that verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. We've heard that before. The Lord delivers us out of them all when we trust him. His timing, not always our timing. The importance of a contrite spirit, a broken heart about your sin. David had it. I believe these, these Israelites, the 3,000 of them realizing they just crucified the Messiah. What shall we do? The importance of truly being sorry, sorry godly sorrow worketh repentance. That's what, that's what Peter said. Repent. Repent, he said. So the importance of a contrite spirit, Isaiah 57, 15. What a verse. For thus says the high and lofty one. This is the way Isaiah the prophet speaks. It's about 700 B.C. And he's surrounded by ungodliness everywhere. There are some godly, but they've got bad kings, bad leaders. Oh, and Isaiah says, For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, his, whose name is Holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that is of a contrite. Lord, I'm just not sorry. I'm deeply sorry that will deeply sorry enough to lead to repentance. I dwell in the high and holy place in the middle, Isaiah 57, 15. And... I dwell with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble. Don't let your spirit die. We've been closed off now for two months. Keep that spirit alive. And those of you who are humble, practicing humility, putting God and others first. Don't let that die. Don't get bitter. Don't get so tired you can't, you can't be God's merciful ones. It goes, it goes on. With him also that is of a contrite and holy spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says this to those that are the contrite ones. Again, back in Acts, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, you just crucified the Messiah. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Listen, if you're out there practicing sin, having trouble sleeping about it, but going to do it again, Please understand, this verse is for you. When they heard this, they were 
pricked in their heart. I know I'm doing wrong. I know it's wrong. I know it's bad. I know I'm not where I should be doing what I should be doing. They were pricked in their heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, change, give your lives to God, change the direction of your life, be thoroughly contrite, sorrowful for your sin. Repent, he goes on to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That next verse that isn't on the screen, for the promise is to you and to your children. Remember again, repentance. Repentance is to be sorry enough to change, changing direction of your life. Remember, repentance is to change. Think differently. Become a new person in Jesus. We don't have to be the persons we were. 3,000 souls repented that day. And they were saved. Repent of your controlling sins. Rededicate to the Word, the Word of God, the Bible. Rededicate to prayer. And soon, rededicate to church. To supporting, it's not the, it's not the building, the people. To coming together to worship God together. I'd like for you to bow your heads with me wherever you're at, whatever room of your house you're in. Would you bow your head with me, Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, I honestly, Lord, I honestly feel like I've done my best to teach these who are listening. And oh God, I wish there were more. But teaching them, Lord, the importance of repentance and contriteness to be sorry enough for our sin that we might live holy lives without which no man shall see the Lord. Lord, if there's someone here within the sound of my voice that doesn't even know if they were to die today, they don't know if they would go to heaven, Lord. Lord, please, Please, this day, hear their prayer with their heads bowed, asking you, Lord, to forgive them of their sin. And to come into their heart to be their Lord. To be their Lord and Savior. Please, Lord, Please, Lord, touch hearts and lives. Those that aren't sure, let them this day dedicate themselves to you. Baby steps. Maybe just little changes, but baby steps. Hear their prayers. Lord, for others of us, help us, Lord, to rededicate ourselves to you.
to your work, to conversation with you, prayer life, and to rededicate ourselves to church. Lord, I pray, we pray, Lord, for wisdom as we prepare to be opening the church again with all the so many different changes. But Lord, that we might come together and worship you right here in this holy place. Give us wisdom. Give us tolerance, Lord, that we may not come together when we want to. We may not do it as we want it done. But Lord, do ask you to put it into the hearts of these people to have them trust us, to have them trust the council of the church as we decide when we open again. But Lord, until then, let us remember individually and as a family, we can worship and serve you. In Jesus' name.